Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I start, I want to mention that if you want to support the podcast, which I do full-time so all support is appreciated, you can go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. I have several tiers, all with wonderful benefits, including early episodes, early videos, free admission to my monthly Zoom history conferences, and much more. Also, I would like to give a shout-out to Nerd Roamer. This is an excellent podcast, where he's described it as the podcast where we do the heavy lifting on coming up with fun facts for your trip. And I really like it. Now, I don't really travel to the United States too much, uh, being up in Canada, but uh, with his episodes, what he does is he gives various histories and he kind of pairs it with trips and, and the roads you can take to really experience those histories or see parts of that history. And it's, it's actually a really great podcast, so I highly recommend it. Uh, it's Nerd Roamer, and you can find it on pretty much all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. It is one of the most famous battles in Canadian history, and was a pivotal moment in the history of Canada. It was also a dark day for the country as many soldiers would lose their lives. At the time of the Dieppe Raid in August of 1942, most of continental Europe was under the control of the Germans, who were entrenched on the continent. The raid on Dieppe was the attempt to dislodge the Germans, at least a little bit, from their foothold. And while it would fail overall, it would result in important lessons being learned by the Allies, which they would use in the successful D-Day invasion of 1944. Now I say it's a, an attempt to get a foothold in Europe, but more than anything it was to test the defenses of the Germans and just see how it would be possible to actually get into Europe, uh, as we will see. So let's get right to it. Unlike D-Day, which consisted of the Americans, British, Canadians, and many more, the Dieppe raid was smaller with 6,100 troops, 5,000 of which were Canadians. The rest of the troops were 50 American Rangers and 1,000 British Commandos. Support for the raid came from 8 Allied destroyers and 74 Allied air squadrons, 8 of which came from the Royal Canadian Air Force. The Allies did not have the strength to attack as they would on D-Day yet, but the raid on the French port of Dieppe would allow them to gain experience for the planning of a larger assault and to test their new equipment. For the Canadians, they were spending most of their time training in Britain and were itching for battle. No Canadians had taken part in any major battle since the Battle of Hong Kong two years previous, and the Canadian public was also wanting to hear about Canadian heroes going into battle. So Dieppe was coming at just the right time for both the public and the soldiers. Corporal Robert Proust of the Canadian Provost Corps would state after the war, I was bored to tears with the long inaction and was itching for battle. Commanders began working on a raid that would take place in July under the codename of Operation Rudder. The Canadians would be the main assault force and the 2nd Canadian Infantry Division was on the Isle of Wight by May 20th of that year, training for the amphibious assault. The raid would be moved though, due to poor weather in July, and there was talk of abandoning it completely. Instead, it was revived and given the new name, Jubilee. On August 19, 1942, the Allied force would attack at five different points on the front running 16 kilometers long. Four flank attacks would happen at the same time just before dawn, followed by the main attack on Dieppe half an hour later. The Canadians would be the force of the main attack, while also providing help at the cliffs near Pourville to the west. 
Major General J.H. Roberts, the commander of the 2nd Canadian Infantry Division, would tell his men before the raid, Don't worry, men. It will be a piece of cake. Those words would haunt him for years after. There were some bad omens before the attack even started. A craft-carrying ship called the Duke of Wellington was loaded with Canadian soldiers who were preparing their hand grenades. One grenade was accidentally triggered, and the soldiers attempted to throw it out a porthole but missed, and it bounced back, exploding, killing one person and injuring 18. The eastern flank of the attack force would meet unexpected problems almost immediately. As the assault force approached the coast of France, the landing craft in the eastern flank encountered a German convoy. The violent sea fight would alert the German coastal defences, allowing them to man their defences and costing the Canadians the element of surprise that was so crucial. The crafts carrying the British commandos that were going to destroy the coastal batteries at Berneval were scattered, and most of them did not reach the shore to accomplish their mission. The commandos who did were overwhelmed by the Germans firing at them. The Royal Regiment of Canada would arrive at the eastern flank beach and found it was extremely narrow and the German soldiers were on the cliffs ready for the Canadians to arrive. With their naval landing delayed slightly, they arrived just as the sun was coming up and were met with violent machine gun fire from the Germans. Only a few of the Canadian soldiers were able to get over the seawall at the head of the beach. Those who did get over soon found out they were unable to get back. The rest of the eastern flank attack force, which included the Black Watch, were pinned on the beach by the artillery and machine guns of the Germans. For those who landed at the eastern flank of the beach, 200 were killed, 20 died later from their wounds, and all of the rest were taken prisoner. It was the heaviest toll suffered by any Canadian battalion in a single day during the entire Second World War. Over on the western flank, there were still elements of surprise to that attack, thankfully. The attack was able to land as planned and destroyed the guns at Varengeville. The Canadians were able to surprise the enemy at Poorville, and the South Saskatchewan Regiment and the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders of Canada attacked on the beach, meeting light opposition at first. The cameras began to push forward towards the inland airfield objective, but were halted at three kilometres by the Germans. The South Saskatchewan Regiment was also halted before getting to the town of Dieppe. Meeting heavy opposition from the Germans, both units attempted to withdraw and would suffer heavy casualties as a result. Thanks to the bravery of those on the landing craft, which came ashore amid heavy gunfire, most of both units were able to re-embark on the ship, albeit with many wounded. The rear guard sadly could not be evacuated and would surrender when they ran out of ammunition. For the central attack in front of Dieppe itself, this was supposed to take place 30 minutes after the assaults on the eastern and western flanks. Unfortunately, the Germans were well prepared for the Canadians' main attack. The Canadians attempted to breach the seawall, but were pushed back with heavy casualties. The Royal Hamilton Light Infantry landed at the west end of the Dieppe Promenade and cleared out an isolated casino of German troops and were able to enter into town. They then engaged in vicious street fighting in the town itself. Major General Roberts believed more troops had made it into Dieppe than had actually made it there, and he sent in his reserve unit, the Fusiliers Mont-Royal, to take advantage, but they would be hit heavily, with 119th soldiers losing their lives. Lieutenant Colonel Dollard Menard of the Fusiliers would say later, The second the boat scraped the beach, I jumped out and started to follow the sappers through the barbed wire. My immediate objective was a concrete pillbox on top of a 12-foot parapet about 100 yards up the beach. I think I had taken three steps when the first one hit me. You say a bullet or a piece of shrapnel hits you, but the word isn't right. 
They slam into you the way a sledgehammer slams you. There is no pain at first. It jars you so much you're not exactly sure where you've been hit or what with. The Calgary Regiment was supposed to land with a round of intense air and naval bombardment, but they arrived on shore ten minutes too late, which left the infantry without support during the first minute of the attack. They too were stopped by the seawall, but the tanks would come ashore and were able to overcome that seawall. The tanks would then meet concrete obstacles that sealed off the streets of Dieppe, leaving the tanks immobilized. They continued to fight and would help many soldiers withdraw from the area. Unfortunately, the crews in the tanks would either die in battle or become prisoners of war. In the air, the Royal Air Force and the Royal Canadian Air Force protected the ships off Dieppe from the German Air Force. It would come at a terrible cost, with the Royal Air Force losing 106 aircraft while the Canadians lost 13 aircraft. One pilot who had his plane shot down was William Alcorn of Cadillac, Saskatchewan. He had enlisted with the RCAF in 1939 and took part in the Dieppe raid when his plane was shot over the English Channel. He would parachute out after his plane caught fire, surviving after he hit the water. He would then spend 40 minutes in the water until a rescue boat arrived. On the boat was a photographer who documented the rescue for CBC. By the afternoon, the attack was over and the debate over it would soon begin. While some see it as a needless slaughter of Canadian troops, others feel it was necessary to make a successful attack on D-Day two years later. I'm going to play three interviews now with DF veterans recorded 25 years after the event itself. Which broke out the engagement and went into Dieppe, they might have turned in an alarm. How long was that before you hit the beaches? Oh, this would be about an hour. An hour? An hour, an hour and a half, something like that. Monroe went in with the Royal Regiment at Puy. Among the Royals was first aid man Bill McLennan of Toronto, who was talking with Pierre Burton. What was your first view of Dieppe? What was, did you see it from the ship coming in? Was it... No, in our landing craft we were sitting down until the doors dropped and we rushed off. I can't say that I've seen very much of France. And I wasn't too interested that day. Well, as we left the boat, uh, uh, the um, smoke screen had disappeared. We were a few minutes late due to the uh, hitting of that uh, German e-boat or a convoy, whatever it was we did hit in the dark. And um, the company, a B company I was with, went off, and a shell landed in front of us. And a shell landed behind us, and the next thing I remember, I was up to the seawall. I was quite dazed, and uh, by up to the seawall, I, I couldn't really tell you. You don't, know, you don't know if you ran up or what? I know I got there very quickly. <laughs> what did you do when you got to the base of the wall? What could you do? Well, I was a little dazed, and there was a wounded man with me, and I tried to fix him, and then I got hit. Did you have time to be scared? I was scared all day. They say only the fools aren't scared. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when you went back to England, how many went back with you from your regiment? Uh, approximately 42 of our regiment returned. Out of how many? I would say 640, approximately, I think, went in. Another of the 1900 captured raiders was Jim Richards, who was in charge of a Bren gun group. Well, it's pretty hard to remember exactly what happened. There's so much going on, a lot of firing. Off out of the fire, most of the fellows were being killed around us. We just ran like the devil for the, for the wall. Your only hope of survival was to stay so close to that wall that the pillboxes on top couldn't depress their guns. That's right. To hit you. Yes. 
Uh, the fire was coming from the side at the same time, though, I yes. suppose. What did you use as cover? Well, mostly bodies. Of... The, uh, did you ever get that Bren gun into action that you were in charge of? Bren Gunner was killed leaving the boat, and I never saw him with a gun afterwards. Pierre Dubuc, a sergeant with Le Fusier de Mont-Royal, won the military medal at Dieppe. George Ronald talks with him. Two and 14 men got well into Dieppe, uh, managed to destroy a lot of German installations, uh, suddenly find yourselves with no ammunition left. We're taken well, prisoner. We were taken into a yard, a yard with uh, concrete walls. And uh, in there, we were told by one of the German officers that uh, we were to strip. And so we did. I did, well, I didn't want to argue or anything like that. Uh, I mean, war was war, but when you don't know anything, it was the first time. Sure. So we stripped, and uh, we were placed against the wall with our hands up in the air and facing the wall, which uh, I was very thirsty. I asked the... Uh, After a while, there was one guy left, one soldier, one German soldier left with a Schmeiser, machine gun. So I asked him, I said, uh, can we get something to drink? He didn't want to say a darn word. So I just took my hands down and I showed him one of them barrels that was there, dripping water from the roof. There was some water in there. So he turned around, but... The instinct, I like, just like a dog of biting, you know, I just jumped on him. And uh, one of the men that was with us, he kind of got a hold of, I don't know, it was a pipe or a steel bar or something, and he hit the guy across the head, and we killed him right there. And we took off, every man for ourselves. Like oh. I told him, I told him, I said, get back to the beach, everyone, for yourself. And... Uh, I got back to the beach. But to tell you the truth, the way I got back, I got back my own way. Over the course of the battle, 907 Canadians would be killed, with the Royal Regiment of Canada suffering the worst, losing 227 soldiers on that day. Of the 600 Royal Regiment soldiers who landed at the beach, 65 made it back to England that day. The Royal Hamilton Light Infantry would lose 197, in addition to the soldiers who lost their lives, another 506 were wounded and 1,946 would be captured. In all, of the 5,000 Canadians who took part in the battle, 67% would be killed, wounded, or captured. The amount of Canadians taken prisoner was more than what the army would lose in 11 months of fighting in Northwest Europe from 1944 to 1945. One story of being a prisoner of war comes from Lloyd Nibbs, Coming from Huntoon, Saskatchewan, Nibs had joined the Winnipeg Cameron Highlanders in April 1940 and would take part in the Dieppe Raid, where he survived the attack but was taken prisoner. Taken to Stalag 8B, the prisoners were handcuffed for the day as punishment for the attack. Over time, the prisoners would dig a tunnel in the camp and several would escape, including Nibs. Unfortunately, he didn't speak German and was quickly picked up and sent back to camp. The prisoners were allowed to send one censored letter and four censored postcards each month. At Christmas 1942, they sent a photograph of their group in their uniforms. The Red Cross would send them food parcels and cigarettes as well, which they bartered with the Germans. In November 1943, 
Lloyd was among the 22 Canadians moved to Stalag 2D in northern Germany to begin working on a potato farm. In February of 1945, they left the camp with a German officer, and in May, they met the Russian army, and then arrived at the American front lines. In July 1945, Nibs would finally return home. Another prisoner of war was Tom Melville. He was a sports editor with the Regina Leader Post when he enlisted in 1939, taking part in the raid and becoming a prisoner of war. He would survive the war and return to Regina, eventually becoming the editor of the newspaper from 1964 to 1973. August Delwo had joined the army in 1938 and trained as a commando. In Dieppe, he was wounded and captured and spent two years and nine months in a prisoner camp. He was of German heritage, which he kept secret for as long as he could. When it was discovered he could speak German, the German soldiers made him work as an interpreter. As the war was ending, August, along with several other hundred POWs, was forced to take part in the 1,500-mile death march during the Russian winter, with many POWs losing their lives along the way. Delwo would survive the war and return to Canada. Dieppe would show the Allied commanders what not to do in an attack on the Europe mainland. The Dieppe raid allowed the Allies to see what they needed to have. These things were a preliminary artillery support, surprise, proper intelligence concerning the enemy fortifications, the avoidance of a frontal attack on a defended port, and proper re-embarkation craft. Admiral Montbotton, who helped plan the raid, stated, I have no doubt that the Battle of Normandy was won on the beaches of Dieppe. For every man who died in Dieppe, at least ten more must have been spared in Normandy. Nonetheless in Canada, Montbotton was seen as a controversial figure for his willing sacrifice of so many Canadian soldiers. Winston Churchill would say, my impression of Jubilee is that the results fully justify the heavy cost. And he would add that it was a Canadian contribution of the greatest significance to final victory. No one faulted the Canadians for the failure of the raid, with many stating that the Canadians fought bravely in the face of a determined enemy, and it was the circumstances outside the control of the soldiers that would result in the failure. The official battle report from the Germans after the battle would say, The enemy... Almost entirely Canadian soldiers fought, so far as he was able to fight at all, well and bravely. Two German soldiers would recount their perspective of the battle 19 years after it happened. German came back racing to us and told us, uh, this is it boys, it's no more maneuver. Take the blanks out, put live ammunition in, the uh, enemy has landed in the app. My position uh, was right down uh, um, on, a, on a hang for a, for a, what do you say? The cliffs? For the cliff. You were, and on, on what side of Dieppe? That was the west side from Dieppe. Mm -hmm. I'll see, I see, you were on the cliffs on the west side of the beach, eh? Yeah. And what were you doing there? What was your position? We took a machine gun and just shooting what comes in your UV. Do you think that the guys had any chance to survive? Maybe they had, maybe not. Certainly, everybody got a lot of lessons from this raid. The attacker and the defender as well. I ask me whether it was worth such a bloody cost to gain these lessons. If I would have been in charge to land there from the other side, I would ask the Air Force first, first of all to bomb at least 30 minutes 
heavy bombing on the position which were already very well known. What was all the batteries to be taken by commanders could be knocked out by bombing. And so you, it would be less costly as it was. Whether it would come to a success, nobody knows. But then you, you know, in the wartime, always the luck plays its all. The reports back home highlighted Dieppe as a successful raid and something that was needed for a successful attack later. Now, I apologize for the poor quality of the audio of these two reports that came from the CBC and from Robert Bowman, but they came right after Dieppe happened and show the Army and Canadian government perspective that was given to Canadian citizens. The raid has been termed a great success, and Canada can be more than proud of this contribution she has made. There is no doubt now that a second front would have been suicide without the knowledge we have gained. And furthermore, we've helped Russia already by this price we've paid. It is now known that not only were 91 German aircraft shot down for certain, but about twice that number were probably written off through damage. That makes a total of more than 200 German aircraft destroyed, probably destroyed and damaged, out of a total of between three and 400 aircraft the Germans were known to have had in Western Europe. They will have to bring reinforcements from the Russian front. Information gathered from our troops also shows that German army casualties have been high, and they are properly rattled. The news they are putting out proves this. They have issued two separate stories, and one is a half contradiction of the other. One of them says that we prepared for ten months, and if we'd been successful, there was an army waiting to make this a second front. The other story says that the raid was a hastily improvised affair as a gesture to Russia. Well, neither one of these stories is correct. The raid was well planned and was intended to kill as many of the enemy as possible and to obtain information. We know now the secret of German coast defenses and we know how to break them in future. I'd like to say this to you in Canada. We have suffered heavy losses and I saw our men die, but never have I seen men die more bravely or fight with such great heart as our Canadian troops. The word Dieppe may rank with Vimy Ridge in our history, and our hats are off to the Royal Canadian Engineers and the Royal Canadian Army Medical Corps and the South Saskatchewan Regiment and the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders of Winnipeg and the Royal Regiment from Toronto the Essex Scottish from Windsor, and the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry, and a Fusilier de Montréal. A lot of those men will never return to Canada. I believe a lot more will return after the war, if the German announcement of 1,500 prisoners is correct. And added to the above, the officers and men of the Calgary tanks, whose story is one of the greatest that can be told about our Canadian part in this action. This was a combined operation, and I've spoken about the Army. Playing an equal part with our troops were the Air Force, the Marines, Commandos, and the Navy. I'm trying to find out now what percentage of the Air Force was Canadian, because I feel sure it was a great percentage. At least nine aircraft fell to Canadian guns, and many more were damaged. 
What a marvelous job they did in the face of intense fire from accurate and powerful German shore and ACAC batteries. Our losses haven't been sustained without reason. We've learned a most valuable lesson which may enable us to free the continent of Europe and end the war. We know now how the German system of coastal defenses operate and how best to attack. We know the tremendous weight of artillery the enemy can bring to bear on the beaches. That was the purpose of the raid, as set out officially and told to us before we set sail. To destroy defenses and kill Germans and to obtain information. We did all those things, things which the Germans have never been able to do to us. We moved large forces across the channel unnoticed by the enemy. We landed men on all six beaches and we landed tanks in our new tank-carrying vessels, and one of which I was a passenger. Costly as it has been to Canada, the raid was definitely a success. Without this experience, a second front would have been suicide. There would be many citations in the battle for Canadians, including two Victoria Cross. Charles Cecil Merritt had landed with the South Saskatchewan Regiment, and Lieutenant Colonel Merritt took charge of getting across the bridge, walking into a storm of fire on the bridge and leading his party across by his sheer will and bravery. He would be wounded twice, and he commanded the rear guard action that allowed the majority of units to re-embark at the beach. Merritt would be captured and become a prisoner of war. He would survive the war and be released from military service in 1945, going on to serve as a member of parliament for Vancouver from 1945 to 1949. He would pass away on July 12, 2000. Merritt would say after the war, We were very glad to go. We were delighted. We were up against a very difficult situation, and we didn't win, but to hell with all the business of saying the generals did us dirt. John Weirfoot was a member of the Canadian Chaplain Services and was the first member of that unit to be awarded the Victoria Cross. He would continually expose himself to intense fire over the course of eight hours to help move the injured to an airpost, saving many lives in the process. At the end of the eight hours, he jumped off the landing craft that would have taken him to safety and walked right up to the Germans to be taken prisoner so that he could serve as a minister to the Canadian prisoners of war. He would survive the war and would serve as an MPP in the Ontario legislature from 1948 to 1959, and he would pass away on May 2nd, 1988. Sergeant David Lloyd Hart would be awarded the Military Medal for his efforts during the raid when he maintained the only line of radio communication between the men on the beach and the commanders at sea. He would save the lives of 100 men through his work with the signals, allowing them to retreat. Another interesting fact about Hart is that he would become the longest serving officer in the Canadian Armed Forces. He would serve for 81 years in active and honorary roles until he died in March 2019 at the age of 101. Many of the men at Dieppe were honoured in a ceremony at Buckingham Palace, as this newsreel report from 1942 shows. While the Royal Standard flew high above Buckingham Palace, a patient crowd assembled outside the gates. For the word had gone round that the men of Dieppe were to receive their decoration from the King. Finally they appeared, the soldiers, sailors and airmen, whose deeds on that fateful day had won them recognition. Major General Roberts, who commanded the military forces, received the DSO, as did Brigadier Mann, self-styled backroom boy. So did Air Commodore Cole, 
Royal Australian Air Force. Captain Porteous, V.C. The Canadian V.C. Colonel Merritt, S.S.R., is now a German prisoner. Amongst the many Canadians was Sergeant Thurgood, M.M., Royal Regiment. Privates Thrussell and McKellar, S.S.R., both received military medals. Private Mayor, B.C.M., Corporal Carl, M.M., and Lance Sergeant Mizar, all Essex Scottish. Corporal Dow, F.M.R., and Sergeant Dixon, Essex Scottish, military medals. Another decorated soldier in the battle was Beachcomber, a Canadian war pigeon. During the raid, Beachcomber carried a message from the Canadian Army to alert commanders of the landing, marking the start of the Dieppe raid. Beachcomber would be awarded the Dickin Medal, often seen as the Animal Victoria Cross, and is the only Canadian war pigeon to be awarded the medal, and one of only three Canadian animals to be honoured. One really strange story from the raid comes from the Daily Telegraph crossword puzzle from August 17, 1942. It featured a clue that said, French port, six letters. And the answer was Dieppe. The war office suspected that this was intelligence being passed to the Germans, and Lloyd Tweedsbeer, a senior intelligence officer with the Canadian Army, was called in to investigate. After an exhaustive inquiry that included MI5, it was determined it was a complete and remarkable coincidence. Today, the town of Dieppe is filled with symbols of Canada and maple leaf flags. The promenade at the seafront has a park and several memorials to the Canadian regiments. I'm going to close out this episode with a poem by the sister of a Dieppe soldier who sadly died in the attack. Mona Gould, who died this week at 91, wrote a simple, moving poem when her brother was killed at Dieppe in 1942. That poem went on to become a textbook standard. It's engraved on a plaque in France, commemorating the role Canadians played in the Dieppe raid. After the war, Mona Gould began a career as a broadcaster. She was the host of several talk shows on the Toronto radio station CKEY, but mostly Mona Gould will be remembered for the words that she wrote after her brother died. Here is This Was My Brother, written for Lieutenant Colonel Howard McTavish, killed at Dieppe in 1942. This was my brother at Dieppe, quietly a hero, who gave his life like a gift, withholding nothing. His youth, his love, his enjoyment of being alive, his future like a book with half the pages still uncut. This was my brother at Dieppe, the one who built me a dollhouse when I was seven, complete to the last small picture frame, nothing forgotten. He was awfully good at fixing things, at stepping into the breach when he was needed. That's what he did at Dieppe. He was needed. And even death must have been a little shamed at his eagerness. I hope you enjoyed that look at Dieppe and the Canadians who fought in it. And if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. And you can visit my website where I have all my podcast episodes, as well as hundreds more articles on Canada's history. Just go to canadaehx.com. You can also register for my monthly Zoom history conferences. This month, I'm talking about T.G. Hamilton, an MLA turned seance man in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's $5 to register or free for my patrons. You can register by going to my website and clicking register, or you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. Information comes from veterans.gc.ca. 
junobeach.org, warmuseum.ca, Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, Canada's History, Hope, Home, Happiness, Cadillac Prairie Heritage, Regina, the street where you live, Memories of Gatchel, and the Canadian Amphibious War. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.